There was a time within the last few years, and really it's probably still happening, but it's not as, not as, as prominent as it was, but there, there was a time when many prominent Christian celebrities or notable people within the Christian community suddenly announced that they no longer believed in God or in the Bible. The common phrase that they were throwing around was that they had, quote, deconstructed their faith, unquote. This was basically their way of saying that they took little bits and pieces from what they, what they understood, what they believed to be the Christian faith, tried to compare that with what the world had to say about those same subjects, and instead of listening to the Bible's perspective on those subjects, they instead uh, chose to follow the world's perspective. They had taken that piece, this is where the, the deconstruction metaphor comes in, they had kind of taken whatever doctrine that was down to its bare pieces and in their own minds, they had tried to put it back together, but found that they couldn't actually do that to, to, to their liking, to their understanding. So they stopped believing at that point. They used that as their excuse for not believing in the Bible or in God Himself. Now, deconstruction may be the, the trendy word for it, but in, in more realistic terms, basically, they walked away from the faith. They were deceived from trying to follow what, what Christ calls the narrow path that leads to life. And instead, they wandered over to the, the wider path, the easier path that leads to certain destruction. They were deceived mostly because they either didn't have a proper understanding of Christianity or they didn't genuinely trust in Jesus as the sufficient and exclusive source of their salvation. And that's what Paul's been warning the Colossians about. You know, as we get back into our study in Colossians, he had warned them specifically not to be deluded by plausible arguments. We saw that last time we were in Colossians in chapter 2, verse 4. Paul warns them of that. Very soon in Colossians, he's going to warn the, the believers there not to be deceived by human tradition or other false teachings. That's in chapter 2, verse 8. But right in between these warnings, Paul gives... This encouragement in verses 6 and 7, he wants to ensure that his audience knows that while they're to resist these other worldly things, he, they need to know what they need to focus on instead. The only way we can resist such human cunning and false teaching that tries to tempt us off track is to keep our eyes firmly fixed on the path before us. And, and as the author of Hebrews puts it, we're looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's, that's where our eyes need to be focused. That's where Paul is trying to draw our attention in this passage today. So let's read 
Colossians 2, 6, and 7 as we unpack this today. Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So just to give a bit of a reminder of where we've been, you know, obviously there's a therefore there, so we've got to know what it's there for. That's you know, the common phrase, of course, got to use it. But it's, it's important to look back and see how Paul has been building up all the way to this point. Paul's initial prayer from the beginning of this book has been that the Colossians would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's in, that specific phrase, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, is found in chapter 1, verse 10. What's really interesting, if you wanted to take some time to look at this on your own later, read through Colossians 1, 10 through 12, and then compare that with where we are today in, in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. The progression is almost identical between those two things. So what was Paul's prayer at the beginning of this book now becomes his command that this is how they ought to live as we, as we move through this book. So it's really interesting. I re- thought that was really, um, really fascinating how Paul is continuing along the same theme here. And Paul emphasized our position as believers in uh, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, specifically talking about the fact that we have been transferred out of sin's dark domain and have been transferred into Christ's eternal kingdom. And then he shows just how magnificent of a Lord and King Christ is in verses 15 through 20 by magnifying the glorious preeminence and authority of Christ over all creation. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is Lord of all. And specifically within that, there is a special level of care and authority that is given to the church. He is the head of the body of the church. He is guiding the church. Has special level of authority over them, over believers. And Paul wants everyone who reads this letter to the Colossians to understand just who Christ is and to continue growing in that knowledge of Christ into a a level of maturity. I mean, that's what he gets at at the end of Colossians chapter 1. Saying, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The desire is that We understand who Christ is and continue to grow in that understanding. We see that that's part of his prayer in uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 as well, that we would be increasing in knowledge. Paul's even willing to struggle and suffer in his work so that people would understand who Christ is and grow in, in maturity in that understanding. Paul wants the believers to understand that Christ is Lord over all creation. 
You know, at the end of Matthew, we see that God has given all authority in heaven and on earth to Jesus because of his sacrificial death and the redemption of sins that he accomplished on the cross. Those who trust in Christ enter into a new relationship with him. Not only is he the Lord over all, making him the Lord over each person's life, he becomes their Lord and Savior. This deeper relationship that believers have with Christ Jesus. That's where Paul begins here in Colossians 2, 6, where he says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, at different points today, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of some some Greek grammar. It's going to get a little nerdy, and I will not apologize for it. (laughs) Because this is actually very important in this. I've talked with multiple people in first service who all really appreciate it because of just how important it actually is to understand the progression in these, in these two verses. And right here in verse 6, this is actually a unique sequence of names and titles that Paul uses when he describes Jesus as Christ Jesus the Lord. The Greek literally translated says, the Christ Jesus the Lord. So it's specifically attributing to Jesus these two titles of Lord and Christ. The one other time that we see anything kind of close to this in Scripture, in in this particular way, is in Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.36, where he says that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. That's the closest we get to this, that we're... We, we see these two titles that are both given to Jesus, that He is Lord and Christ, or Lord and Savior. So Paul's point in this verse is to say, just as you accepted Jesus as Lord and Christ, as Lord and Savior by the proclamation of the Gospel, now it is time for you to live it out. To live in a way that reflects what you have received. That's what the, the, the verb means, to, to walk. In the Greek, that would talk about a person's manner of life, that person's conduct. The way, the way that they conduct themselves is meant to reflect something. You see how, what a person values by the way that they live. As believers, our manner of life must reflect the Lordship of Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's the point Paul is driving home here. This means both in the way we think and the way that we act. And Paul gives clear directives in both areas as we go through the rest of this passage. And what's important to note before we really dive into the details here is that just as Jesus has two titles of Lord and Christ, we, the church, the body of believers, we have two roles to play in reflecting Christ as Lord and Savior. Because He is our Lord, we are His servants. Because He is our Savior, we are His ambassadors his representatives. 
We are obeying His commands as His servants and reflecting His character as His ambassadors. So verse 6 gives us the one actual direct command in this entire passage that we are to walk in Christ just as we have believed in Him. You might be thinking to yourself, what, it, what exactly does it mean to walk in Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. So that's, what, that's what we're going to get to the rest of this passage. Paul covers all of that in four specific ways in verse 7, how we are to reflect His Lordship as His servants and ambassadors. We're to remember our roots, recognize who is building, remain firm in the faith, and rejoice always. That's where we're going to be this morning as we look at specifically at verse 7. We're going to dive in to verse 7 here. So let's start with point number one. Remember your roots. Remember your roots. Verse 7 of Colossians 2 here contains four verbs, these four verbs that can make up the, the outline for today. And these four verbs are all participles. I told you we were going to get nerdy with grammar. These are all participles that are connecting back to that original command. These are just descriptors of how one ought to walk in Christ. So these are just four specific ways that this shows itself. And the verb that's translated rooted here in this passage is a perfect passive participle. Perfect passive participle meaning that it is describing an action that was completed in the past but has lingering effects into today and into the future. So that completed action has ramifications beyond the the action itself. And it's a passive verb. So that means that this is an action that was done to us not by us. So what, what, what we're seeing here is that someone else did the planting that has rooted us in Christ. I'll let you take a guess as to who that actually is. Each believer has been planted securely by God by a living stream with a regular supply of nourishment in the Word. You know, this, this analogy really reminds me of Psalm 1, particularly Psalm 1, verse 3, where the psalmist describes the man who's blessed because he delights in God's Word and, and describes him like a tree that is planted by streams of water whose, whose leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. That's... That, that's the analogy that I think of when looking back at this, this idea of the fact that we are rooted in Christ. Now, I don't know what you think when, it, when you hear that, that sort of analogy from Psalm 1. I always had it in my mind that he's talking about some tree that kind of won the agricultural lottery and happened to be planted right next to the Jordan River, something like that, had this steady stream of, of nourishment through the, the Jordan waters. But actually, in doing some more research on this, this, there's actually a little bit more care and precision to this. 
the streams that are mentioned in Psalm 1 might, may actually have been agricultural in nature. There were irrigation canals set up by farmers. Basically, a farmer would plant crops and then set up these irrigation canals. You know, this, the, Israel was a very agrarian society for, for most of history. And the Middle East is a very dry climate. They had to utilize as much water as they could in any way that they could so that their crops could grow and the, their family could continue to, to live off of those crops. So they would take these, these canals, they would, they would create these channels where water could flow and continue to supply nourishment to the soil so that the crops could continue to, to feast on, on those, those nutrients and continue to grow. So it's not just this sort of lottery planted by some flowing stream. Someone actually went and planted a tree or a plant of some kind in a place where they knew that that tree would get some level of, of good nourishment. In that same way, God has provided both the planting and the nourishing for those who trust in His Word. Those who are rooted in Christ have this deep nourishment from the Word of God. And this is the greatest nourishment we could ever have. In his book, The Freedom of a Christian, Martin Luther writes this, the soul can get along without everything except God's Word. And it finds no help in anything apart from God's Word. But when it has the Word, it needs nothing else. It has in the Word all that it needs. Nourishment, joy, peace, light, understanding, righteousness, truth, wisdom, freedom, and everything good in great abundance. That's what we see here in the fact that we are rooted in Christ. We have been supplied with this eternal nourishment in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember where your faith came from. The Father saw fit for you to hear the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, the Lord. How He willingly humbled Himself to become a human. He lived a perfect life, sinless in every way, something that no human has ever done, is ever doing, or ever will do in this life. And even though He did not deserve to die because of His sinless life, that was almost a Freudian slip there, even though He did not deserve to die because of His sinless life, He willingly gave His life as payment for your sin so that you would have redemption and be free from the power of sin and have new life in Him. And the Holy Spirit caused you to understand the full implications, the full glories of that Gospel message and trust in Christ as your only hope of salvation. God has caused your roots to dig down deep into rich gospel soil. Never forget that. 
This is the first step in walking in Christ. It is remembering that He is the one who started us on that path. He is the one who saved you from your sin and who is the Lord of your life. Now this is a completed action. You know, that perfect passive participle. It's the completed action that has lingering effects into the future. Well, we're going to look at some of those lingering effects, what God is doing through that rooting that He has done in your life in Christ, in the Gospel. So our second point is to recognize who is building. Recognize who is building. It's not just that we are rooted in Christ. We are built up in Him. It's not as if God planted you, made sure that you were rooted properly in, in the earth, made sure that there was some supply of nourishment, and then just left you to, uh, on, a, on your own to just grow as you will. You're, you're, if you survive, great. If not, sorry. That's not what's happened here. You are built up in Him. He has built you to the place where you are as a believer. And He will continue to build you up beyond that as well as you continue to walk in Christ. Now the Greek verb here that's translated built up, it's a present passive participle. So we still have that passive element there that this is something that is done to us, not by us. But now it's a present participle, meaning that this is a continuing action in, in the current moment. And this, it's something that is continuously happening now. God is continually building you up in Christ as believers in Him. And this should draw your mind to a construction metaphor, the idea that we're being built up. You know, you built up, you, you, you build up on a solid foundation. You make sure that the foundation is set and secure, and then you start to build the structure up on top of that. Everything is built upon something else. Nothing is, nothing is built out into thin air and just hope that it lands in the proper place. It is built upon a foundation. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 2, where he mentions in uh, verses 19 and through 21 that we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And we are, we are part of that same holy structure that God has been building throughout all of human history founded on the knowledge of God in His Word, which Paul has already prayed that the Colossians would increase in that knowledge. He's prayed that they would increase in the knowledge of the Word, and now it's showing that through increasing knowledge, that is how we are built up in, into Christ and part of God's holy temple that He is building for His glory. Now remember again, this is, this is passive. Your faith and knowledge of the gospel are not your own doing. God is building you up in this way. 
It's your job to recognize that reality as a servant and ambassador for the Lord and to use that as motivation to continue spreading the same message that you've believed. Just as you are grateful that someone else shared the message of the gospel with you and brought you to new life in Christ, recognizing what God is doing in your life in that same way, you want to share that message with someone else so that they can partake in the same blessings and joy that you're experiencing. That God would take that other person, root them in the fertile soil of the Gospel, and they would be built up in the same way. You reflect the Lordship of Christ when your life expresses how Christ has built you into the Christian you are today. He is the one building, and we get to just show what He is doing in our lives. So, so as, as we've seen here, Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. He is the one who builds us up on that cornerstone. He is the foundation and the builder at the same time. And Paul builds on that analogy as, as he continues when he encourages us to remain firm in the faith. Remain firm in the faith. The roots have gone down deep. The strong foundation is set. And now Paul is encouraging us that, that we are being built on a foundation that cannot be shaken. We are established in the faith just as we were taught. Now this is another present passive participle. It's really kind of carrying over the same analogy and the same reality from the, the previous point of being built up. We are being established in that same way. God has established you, will continue to do so as He builds you up into greater likeness of Christ, greater reflection of Christ as His ambassador. This means that we can look ahead with confidence to the inheritance that is promised for believers because He has established us in the faith. We know that we have hope for the future. This promised inheritance that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1, it is an, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And we have this confidence because Christ has established us in faith in Him because of His Word. We can hold on to this kind of promise that it is being kept for us. This is what I love about, just to go off on a little tangent here on 1 Peter 1. This is what I love about this passage. The young adults are like, oh, we've already heard this. What I love about this is that it talks about the fact that this inheritance is being kept in heaven for us, but also that we are being kept for that inheritance. We're being guarded through faith for that inheritance. You know, it's not as if we can lose our salvation, lose faith, and not partake in the promised inheritance that God is keeping for us. He is keeping both of those things together in, until such a time as we 
get to partake in that inheritance of eternal life with Christ. This is all established by God. He is the one who established our faith and continues to work until it is brought to completion. And He is holding that inheritance for us until the time when we will partake in it. Again, this is all God's doing from beginning to end. This is the the most amazing thing about all this, that God is working in us to keep us for this glorious inheritance that we don't deserve except for the fact that we have trusted in Christ and He is keeping us in that faith in Christ so that we can partake in this wonderful, glorious inheritance that He is saving for us. It's fantastic. Again, this is God working in us, but there, there is still a, a, an element of this where we have to work ourselves. If you remember back when we were studying through Jude back last year, at the, near the end of Jude, he writes to his audience to keep themselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he tells them to keep, keep themselves in the love of God, but then just a few verses later, talks about how it is God who is able to keep them from stumbling. So the way that they keep themselves in the love of God is to rely on God who will keep them. They stay kept because God is keeping them and they are just resting on that fact. They're able to, to just rest on the fact that God is the one working within them. Another passage that talks about this is Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, where Paul writes to the church in Philippi, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So see, we still have a responsibility to remain in the faith, But the only reason we can remain in the faith is because God gives us the desire to love and serve Him. He has given us a new heart. He has taken away the heart of stone that was calloused over by our sinful nature and has given us a heart of flesh that desires to love God and to obey His commandments, to reflect His character because of all that He's done for us. He has given us the desire to love, serve, obey Him above all else. So it is His work in us that we then work in the world that keeps us in the faith. Here's another quote from that same book by Martin Luther. He says, It is proper that the only activity and effort of every Christian is to mold the image of the Word and Christ into his heart and continually practice and strengthen that faith. For no other activity produces a Christian. So it's calling us to conform our lives into the image of Christ. To make sure that our lives are being lived in such a way that it aligns with what we see in Scripture. The things that we are commanded to do the way that we are commanded to live. This is a call to keep yourself engaged in the things of God. That is how we continue to grow and conform our lives into Christ's likeness. 
we, again, we're talking about us as servants of Jesus the Lord and ambassadors of, of him as, as our Savior. Well, how can you be a proper servant of the Lord if you don't understand who your Lord is? How can you properly represent Christ as his ambassador if you don't know his character and you can't reflect that properly? You know, this, this requires regular engagement on our part in what the church has called the ordinary means of grace. These things like Bible study, prayer, church attendance, evangelism, discipleship, all these different things that we're called to as believers, these activities that God provides for us so that we can practice the things that we understand in the Bible. It gives us an opportunity to live those things out. So that is what we're called to do as we seek to remain in the faith, remain firm in the faith. Now, we've talked about some of the grammar with these things, and these three verbs that we've looked at so far have all been passive actions that are done to us that we have responsibility for, but they're still the, the responsibility that we have is still reliant on the work that God is doing within us. But Paul closes this verse by calling us to action. And that action is to rejoice always. Rejoice always. All that we've seen in this passage up to this point culminates in this final verb, this final participle abounding in thanksgiving. And this is the only active participle in this entire verse. This is the only place where we take action ourselves. We're not relying on action that has been done to us. And that action that we are called to is to abound in thanksgiving. To be thankful. Given all that God has done to us and for us, think about the fact that we have been rooted, built up, and established in Christ. In light of all of that, the only proper response is to overflow with thankfulness. We rejoice in all that God has done for us. And this is the the last thing that Paul tells us to do in this passage before he gets into verse 8 and jumps back to the warning warning the Colossians to not fall prey to the deceitfulness of philosophy and human tradition. You know, we're pr- you're, you're probably familiar with the phrase, the best defense is a good offense. Well, this is our good offense right here to abound in thanksgiving. Abounding in thankfulness and joy for God's good work in us through Christ drives out any level of discontentment that would give a foothold to any other false teachings. The false teachings that the Colossians were dealing with, or even today, those folks who have deconstructed their faith. There was some level of discontentment with Christianity that they couldn't reconcile, They, they thought was irreconcilable, and so they just gave up on the whole thing. Instead of 
understanding the depths of what Christ has done for us and abounding in thankfulness, letting that fuel the way that they lived. Now, are there things in the Bible that are hard to understand? Absolutely. Absolutely. Read through Leviticus or the first chapters of 1 Chronicles or the, the Minor Prophets and tell me right away after just one reading of those, why that's important for us to have in our Scriptures today. There, there are difficult things to understand in Scripture. But remember how the Lord has caused you to understand the glories of the Gospel. Amen. Thank Him for that. Praise Him for that. And then trust in Him. Pray for, for understanding to, to understand those, those more difficult parts. Find, find out what those things mean, relying on the fact that He is the one who can do that, who can bring you to that greater knowledge. Are there commands in the Bible that are hard to follow? 100%. There are easy commands that I don't want to follow. And then there are more difficult commands that it seems impossible for me to follow. But recognize that God has strengthened you for the work that He's put before you up to this point in your life. And understand that He will continue to strengthen you for that. Amen. Think about the fact that we sang, great is thy faithfulness. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. You know, we can thank God and praise Him for His faithfulness in building us up to this point. And trust that He will continue to build us up in that. Pray that He would strengthen us for the work that He is putting before us. And then get to work. Get to work with what, what Christ has commanded you. Are there times when doubts creep in about what you believe? Definitely. There are definitely times where it's hard to understand what's going on might, might be that you doubting what you actually believe. Fall back on the faith that has remained with you. Rely on that faith and how God has supplied that for you. More than that, rely on the fact that God has supplied a church family for you. People who are willing to come alongside and encourage and support you through difficulties that want to see you grow in Christ. I mentioned the, the Lopez's as they're grieving the loss of Christian. This is a perfect time for us as a church to come alongside and support them in a difficult time. Amen. This is a perfect opportunity for that, to come alongside our brothers and sisters so that they would be encouraged and built up and established even more in the faith that they hold to. Hold on to that faith. Praise God for the fact that He has provided so richly in all these different ways for you. Hold fast to Him. Amen. Genuine thankfulness only comes from a heart that has been rooted, built up, and established in Christ. People ought to recognize the hope of Christ in you from the joy and gratitude that just radiates out of everything you say and do.
because of all that God has done within you. You This is how Paul encouraged the believers in Colossae to walk the walk, to reflect the lordship of Jesus Christ as his servants and ambassadors. He was encouraging them in this way so that they would be ready to fight against the deceptions of philosophy and human tradition so they would not be tempted to turn from that narrow path leading to life and wandering over to the path that that leads to destruction. How's your walk? How are you doing? Are your feet firmly planted on the road to life, strengthened by God for each new day, thankful for the fact that He has led you on this path, He has prepared you for it, and He will continue to lead you along that path. Let me encourage you in the same way that Paul encouraged the Colossians. Keep walking. Keep living as humble servants and joyful ambassadors for the glorious gospel of grace found only in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it truly is to to know how you have provided for us, that you have caused us to be rooted in the gospel. We are firmly planted there. We are firmly nourished by your word. Continue to be built up in you. We are established in what you have done in our lives. And we are able to move forward. We are able to remain firm in the faith and to keep walking down this path that you have given us because of what you are doing. And we just rely on your strength for that. Give us that strength, Father, so that we may continue to be faithful representations of who you are and what you've done so that the world may recognize the joy and the hope that is in us and that they would, they would see our good works and glorify God through that. Father, if there are any in here who have not trusted in you, who don't understand this, who are not walking along that path, I pray that this might be a, a wake-up call for them so that they come to an understanding that it is only through faith in your Son's saving work on the cross that we can have eternal life that we can live free from the power of sin and we can hold fast to the hope of eternal life with you because you have caused new life in us by faith in your son pray that we would continue to be faithful witnesses of that and we would represent you well we would obey you as your servants, as we would represent you as, as your ambassadors, that we would reflect your lordship and your saving power in this world.
in the way that we live. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.